Hello, welcoming you all to another exciting sharing with Kopi with Vance. That's right. This is your host, Vance. It's good to see you all back again and I can see more people are just joining us. If you're watching this video right now or the live telecast, please do share and like to give the support. We have two lovely doctors on board who's going to share a very interesting topic tonight. All right, that is... Is it endometriosis or pelvic congestion? That's right. So before I even invite the doctors coming up, I, I know over the past two years, we have a lot of topics on women that's pertaining to the health. We have a, a lot of issues that went on. All right. We talked about a couple of topics, but I think today's topic is going to be really, really interesting because we have the experts, the specialists on board. My first guest speaker is Dr. Ng Kailin. She's a consultant obstetrician and a gynecology advanced laparoscopist and urogynecologist. And my second speaker is, of course, Dr. Sriram Narayanan. He's a senior consultant, vascular and venous surgeon. So without an invite, I'll Events. That's right. Okay. So let's get Dr. Sridham. Hello, doctor. Hi. Hi. Hi, Vance. How are you? I am good, sir. I can see that you're actually in your clinic right now or is it your home? Oh, no, no. Uh, it's, it's my <laughs> clinic. Okay. And I'm still okay. In scrubs. All right, doc. So I guess you had a long day today or just a busy day? Um, how's it like? Well, middling busy. Uh, long day means that the day hasn't ended and I wouldn't be here, but yeah, it's middling busy. It's okay. Okay. Thank you, doctor. Thank you for coming on board, uh, Kopi Advance, on today's topic. But I'm going to pull up another speaker up, which is Dr. Ng Kailin. Hi, Dr. Ng. Hi, Vance. Hi. So, doctor, are you in um, in your residences or are you in the clinic? Because we have Dr. Sridham in. Okay, go ahead. All right. Thank you, doctor, for I'm, making I'm time. I'm pretending to be busy, Vance. <laughs> <laughs> okay, she's ready to be busy. You know, Doc, um, I think it's it's uh, great to see both doctors coming in today um, on the same topic. I mean, rather a different topic, but of course, it's relating to the woman's health. But without any delay, I'm going to jump in and talk a little bit more about that. But before that, Dr. Sriram, can you please do a quick introduction about yourself, sir? Yeah, um, I'm a vascular and endovascular surgeon, which means we deal with uh, diseases of the arteries and veins. Um, my predominant place of work is the Harley Street Heart and Vascular Center at Glen Eagles. Uh, I used to be the head of vascular at Tantok Seng for seven years. And before that, uh, I was in London at Imperial College, uh, which is where I moved to Singapore from. Uh, so I set up the Venus Clinic in September because it is still a satellite clinic of the Harley Street Heart and Vascular. But uh, heart and cardiac and vascular patients are a different lot. They are middle-aged men with um, diabetes who smoke too much, eat too much, drink too much. Uh, while the women who have this problem are very different. Uh, there are 30s and 40s. There are a lot of psychological issues and they need a lot more support. So we felt they needed a different environment to take them through it rather than a busy cardiac clinic. So yeah, I'm also at the Venus Clinic, but also at Harley Street. Thank you, Dr. Sriram. Um, let's go into Dr. Tunkailin, please. Hi. Hi so I have my copy with me as well. Oh, right. <laughs> Thank so, you for having me. On the, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. I totally forgot right. about that. All right. So, Very good. <laughs> right. You, so, know, you know, that's what I do always in the show. Before we start, I always talk about the copy. But today, I know, right? <laughs> I was especially prepared for you. 
Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so um, hi, I'm Kailin. Thanks for having me on. And I'm basically a consultant OBGYN and I practice at Glen Eagles Hospital. Um, as what Vance uh, mentioned earlier, I am uh, a minimally invasive surgeon. I deal a lot with things like endometriosis, uterine fibroids, ovarian cysts. I also do pregnancy-related stuff, so I, I do deliver patients and all that. My other subspecialty is actually urogyne, so I do a lot of pelvic organ prolapse, uh, urinary incontinence, stuff like that. So happy to be here today and happy to answer any gyne-related questions. Thank you, Doc. Thank you. I know we, we, we have some presentation slides to go through, but before that, you know, we want to ask uh, the both of you all uh, a couple of few questions regarding about today's topic. Is it endometriosis or pelvic congestion? But before we even get started, uh, I'm going to pose this question to Dr. Sridham. Um, Dr. Sridham, you know, pelvic congestion, it sounds like, you know, I mean, in, in a serious note, it looks like a congestion in a, in a traffic place, right? But because of women's reproductive system, the uterus, a lot of other stuffs are there, the bowel system, you know. You know, is it because of that congestion, is it become the syndrome? Okay, congestion in medicine means con increased or blocked blood supply. So when there's too much blood flow into some part and that blood is not getting out of some region of the body, that part is said to be congested. Um and yes, uh, that part of the body in everybody has a fair amount of blood supply. In women, that blood supply is even more uh, than in men. Um, and uh, more so when the pregnancies happen, because as you probably know, uh, when they get pregnant, the uterus has to go. There's a baby to um, supply blood to and nutrition to. So the blood supply goes up uh, dramatically, almost 16 to 20 times higher uh, towards the end of a pregnancy. So that does leave a lot of congestion um, in the pelvis in the women. So yes, it does. It does refer to the blood flow. Thank you, doctor. And um, when we talk about this, is, is it quite common in Singapore or even in other parts of the country? Because um, we always hear about this endometriosis very often, or even mm. for the fact of fibrosis. But you know, pelvic congestion syndrome. I mean, how common or how severe it is in Singapore? Is there uh, any stats that we can understand about? Uh, it's not talked about or is it because of lack of awareness or exposure that we are looking at? I think we are looking at a serious lack of awareness. Um, about 40% of all women in the world suffer from chronic pelvic pain. Um, and uh, the two key causes of chronic pelvic pain are what we are discussing today. One is endometriosis, which is actually commoner. And the other is pelvic congestion syndrome, or as it used to be called, pelvic congestion syndrome. Um, for a long time, pelvic congestion syndrome was this basket sort of dustbin diagnosis when we didn't know what was going on. Um, and uh, the women kept coming back with pain and painful periods and painful sexual intercourse and urinary urgency and back pain. And we didn't quite know what was going on. We looked for endometriosis and they didn't have endometriosis. And then we said, oh, it's all in their head. In its sort of most minor form, it's what you call period pain. And period pain is something that, uh, you know, women are taught to live with. You know, it's just normal. You've got to have some period pain. Um, you don't complain about it. Get on with your life. Uh, and you just learn to live with it and suffer with it. Um, uh, sadly, um, this has uh, been the worst part of pelvic congestion syndrome is the fact that friends and family and even medics have dismissed their symptoms. Um, and the emotional and psychological impact of having your symptoms dismissed and 
you know, people being made to think it's in their head and not in their body, um, you know, they, they really feel belittled by it. Um, and then what changed really was around 2007, we began to understand the anatomy and physiology properly of the veins in the pelvis. Uh, and around 2012, it, uh, once we developed something called intravascular ultrasound, where we could look at veins from the inside, um, we began to see what was actually going on. And then we realized this pelvic congestion syndrome thing is actually varicose veins in the pelvis. And like you have varicose veins in the legs, they get varicose veins in the pelvis. And that is a pelvic venous disorder. And only in May this year, there has been a formal classification of it as pelvic venous disorder. We shouldn't call it pelvic congestion anymore. Um, okay. And uh, 14 societies around the world, gynecologists, radiologists got together. I represented Asia on those societies. So uh, we have. So it's fairly recent information, uh, although the, the condition is, is not new. It's been there for years. All right. Thank you, Doc. Um, we'll go into the uh, endometriosis part uh, where Dr. Nkailin can help us. Um, Doctor, we hear this very often, right? Um, in fact, I, I've been hearing this, um, um, I mean, even though not in the medical health, but, uh, you know, endometriosis or even we talk about fibrosis. I mean, these are pretty, seems to be very, um, quite uh, often we hear this in a woman. Is it the high chances where endometriosis happens to a woman in 70 or 80%? What is, the, what, what is it all about, Doctor? So I would say endometriosis actually followed a quite a similar trajectory uh, as uh, what, the, what Dr. Sriram described um, in terms of pelvic congestion syndrome. So it was something that was not quite recognized until recently. Um, although thankfully, you know, with the good work done, uh, like with people like yourself, uh, more women are actually, and more doctors, more gynees are actually more aware of, of the need to look for endometriosis in someone who presents with basically period pain. And what endometriosis basically means is that the tissue from the womb lining is actually found outside of the womb. So it can be found in places like your ovaries, your fallopian tubes, even your intestines. And this condition actually causes quite a tremendous amount of uh, pelvic pain and period pains as well. Because these tissues actually react the same way as they do during your periods in, your, in, in terms of your hormonal changes. Uh, and so it is actually more common than you think. Uh, we do have statistics that show about 1 in 10 women actually suffer from endometriosis. And so if you put that into perspective, um, about 1 in 11 adults actually suffer from diabetes. So if you know someone in your close circle of friends and family who has diabetes, then you probably have a quite a high chance um, of knowing someone who actually has endometriosis, whether or not they're, they're openly diagnosed with it or whether or not they're silently, silently suffering from it is quite hard to tell, but that just gives you, uh, you know, a glimpse into the magnitude of the problem of endometriosis. You know, dog, this seems like, you know, like a relationship, right? I mean, if you got A, you will have B and C and D. You know, someone who's not uh, taking care of the health, the chances of cholesterol is high, the high blood pressure is there, the diabetes. So it seems like everything just coming in together if one symptom or one presentation follows. So um, in, in, in Singapore itself, how are we looking at this uh, particular condition? Um, is it uh, women about 50% or 70%? Is there any kind of stats that our viewers can know about it? Well, generally, I would say that about 1 in 10 women will, will eventually get to a diagnosis of endometriosis. But 
unfortunately, it does take them quite a number of years to reach that diagnosis. And as what Dr. Sriam described just now, we do see a patient profile who has been probably dismissed by quite a number of specialists or even the general practitioner because that's usually where the women first present to when they have period pains or pelvic pain, essentially. And so by the time they get to us and we actually do an in-depth diagnosis for them, uh, there is a lot of psychological battle that they have to go through. Um, you know, a women, women with endometriosis typically have to fight to get recognized in terms of the symptoms and basically fight for what they know is going on in their bodies, but are not being acknowledged by, you know, certain specialists at the visit. So I would say it's a pretty similar situation, I'm sure, with Dr. Sriram when he sees um, the patients with pelvic congestion syndrome as well. So it's, it's uphill better, but I think, you know, we are slowly getting there, you know, with continuing patient education. I think that's pretty much why we're here tonight. Yep. Thank you, Doc. Um, next, we are going to go to Dr. Sridham. Um, Dr. I mean, Dr. Ng Kailin has mentioned about endometriosis, but of course, there could be a, a bit of confusion. Like we talked about menstrual cramps, uh, we can talk about PCS, which is uh, pelvic congestion syndrome, or endometriosis, or even for the fact of fibroids. Fibroids. What? How does a woman get checked up, or how can we differentiate between these two? Though? Well, this has been the problem, isn't it? The problem is that the symptom overlap between endometriosis and PCS, pelvic congestion or pelvic venous disorder. I'm going to use that word because we have now formally abandoned pelvic congestion. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, pelvic venous disorders, the overlap is huge. Um, and this is the problem, the overlap of chronic pelvic pain. Um, you know, it gets exacerbated, gets a little worse uh, before or around a period. Um, you know, these are fairly common symptoms, but um, there are some differentiating symptoms. Um, and in the differentiating symptoms, heavy periods, unless they have adenomyosis, which is basically, I'm sure Dr. Uh, Kylin will talk about it, um, heavy periods are not really a feature of uh, extrauterine or outside the uterus endometriosis. Heavy periods are a feature uh, of uh, pelvic venous disorders, and that's mainly because they have varicose veins that run across the uterine body, uh, so they do bleed a lot. Uh, we have patients, in fact, my last patient has had her periods for the last two months. Uh, she hasn't stopped. Um, uh, but it is common to see, you know, 11, 12, 14 days of a period with clots and things. The other key thing is pain during sexual intercourse. That is common during with both endometriosis and with pelvic congestion or pelvic venous disorders. But the true symptom of a pelvic venous disorder is pain after sexual intercourse post-coital pain. That can persist for from an hour to up to a day or day and a half. And as you can imagine, if your memory of intimacy is that you're going to have agony for a day after that, very quickly, uh, even if your husband is as good looking as Vance, you will slowly um, start uh, distancing yourself from him because you, know, you have this memory of pain. Um, the third thing uh, that differentiates these two is the presence of uh, leg and vaginal or vulvar symptoms, varicose veins around the vagina or, you know, in the private area and in the legs or swelling in the legs, uh, that is far more likely to be a pelvic venous disorder because the two systems in the veins in the legs and the veins in the pelvis are connected. The fourth thing is a funny overlap. Um, in endometriosis, uh, the pain can be so bad that they can actually faint from the pain. Um, but uh, there is a condition called POTS. 
postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which essentially means um, they get uh, their pulse rate goes up dramatically. Uh, they start feeling dizzy and faint. They have symptoms of something called brain fog. They can't focus. Um, uh, and this typically occurs when they change posture. And what happens is you have a large volume of blood that is pooled in the pelvis. And when they change their posture, there's a sudden shift of that blood. Um, and they almost react like you've taken a liter of blood out of them. Um, because sometimes the volume of blood in the pelvis can be, you know, almost half a liter to a liter uh, that is sitting there. And you must remember vein blood is low in oxygen and a bit more acidic. That's why it's going back to the heart to get oxygenated. So you've got this bad blood sitting in the pelvis, about a liter of it, and you suddenly shift it into the system and they get all these symptoms. So this is not seen again in, in, in endometriosis. Uh, and then there are, of course, some supportive sort of things we see. Uh, those who have been thought to have endometriosis and, and been uh, started on hormone therapy uh, and there is no response. And I'm again sure Dr. Kylian will talk about it. Um, in fact, some of the symptoms of pelvic venous disorders will get worse um, with uh, the hormonal therapy that is used, um, you know, as standard for, uh, for uh, endometriosis. Um, and lastly, of course, they may well have had a laparoscopy or CT scans and they would have seen that there is no endometriosis. Uh, or they would have had a CT or MRI that would have shown that they actually have large varicose veins in the pelvis. Um, so, you know, a combination of these allows us to make the differentiation. Uh, but if there is uh, two key differentiating symptoms, one is heavy period, which is painful. Of course, pelvic pain is across the board. And the other is postcoital pain, pain that occurs after intercourse. Uh, that pretty much pins it down. Uh, for women who are watching this, uh, a bit of advice, uh, a very easy way to do it is go on to our website. We've developed something called the PCS score, which has now been validated with ultrasound. Uh, you know, does the PCS, how high your score is, does it correlate with your ultrasound findings? Uh, and it does in a very high way. So we've had people with really bad pelvic pain who score very low uh, on the PCS score. And then we ultrasound them and we find it's not pelvic pain disorder, it's endometriosis. We find the endometriosis and we send it to the gun. So we have that. So if you're not sure of what your cause of pelvic pain is, just go onto our website. It comes up straight away on your phone um, and do your PCS score. You know, just run it online and uh, it tells you uh, what you're more likely to have. And then you can decide. I think it's you a very, uh, very good inf information, Doc, because then it's like a, a, a some kind of a qualifying. So you know which spectrum you fall into and then you can actually get that yes because uh, there is an overlap and and the problem that happens is if the wrong person if the endometriosis comes to me or to a vascular surgeon and then they get investigated uh, it costs and there is the pain they've already been in pain for a while and the nuisance of coming to see people like us um, and then we say it's not me it's kylin that you need to go to um, on the other hand, from Kylan's point of view, they will turn up with her. Uh, again, there is a cost for all the testing and everything. And then at the end, she'll say, actually, it's not me. It's Ram you need to go to. Um, so this allows them to make, and, and not just them, their family physicians, their GPs, their friends, to actually make the distinction fairly easily. And it works extremely well as a screening procedure. Um, so they can do that very easily online. Thank you, Dr. Sriram. Um, Dr. Kylan. So menstrual cramps, right, and pelvic pain, does it mean that one should have endometriosis? Because it, it is still um, like a fault finding. So they're not sure what they fall into because it could be an irregular menses period or sometimes there isn't any menses. Um, you know, is it good to go and get checked? I mean, which is definitely. 
But is there some kind of indications where we 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 look at the both side of it? So I think uh, I'm sure a lot of women with either endometriosis or you know pelvic venous disorders have gone to see a GP before and just been told that it is normal to have period cramps. Go here, here are some painkillers. Go take them and basically just try and get on with life. I, I'm sure a lot of patients who have eventually end, end up with either me or either with Dr. Sriram have heard that story endless of times. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you don't really have to panic. It doesn't mean that if you have like menstrual cramps that you really definitely have endometriosis. It is really not the case. But there are certain markers that you should look out for um, as indication that it's probably time to consult um, someone. And that would be if your pain and your symptoms are actually affecting your quality of life. What I mean by that basically means that if you're unable to function, if you're finding yourself, you know, curled up in bed, you know, you're not able to go to school or go to work and you're constantly needing to take MC after MC and you're just basically not yourself, um, then it's probably an indication to get yourself checked out because, you know, it is my firm belief that you are supposed to function, you know, as good as you are during your period when you're as when you're not having period. And, you know, it is it is up to us as women to really understand our health and take control of that um, and not be dismissed. Um, you know, if it happening, if it's happening to you, then there's probably something that needs to be checked out. And, you know, I I would say whoever is listening to this, if you are suffering, uh, it's probably time to end the suffering in silence and, and probably speak up and try and seek help. You know, Doc, I can't imagine um, being a male or maybe Dr. Srinam, I'm not sure. How is this pain, you know? Uh, I mean, I think women are much more stronger than men. Can I say that, Dr. Srinam? I mean, they are... Oh, yes, you going... can. Oh, you <laughs> certainly can. If you and I tried to have a baby, we'd die. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, women all over the world have children. They're much tougher than we are. Um, and by the time they complain, uh, a lot has happened. Um, so the idea that, oh, you need to get on with it, you know, they've already gone through a lot. Uh, there's something called man flu, as you probably know. Um, you know, a little sniffle and the men curl up and the women take a lot and carry on with life before they do curl up with pain. So when they start doing that, uh, one has to uh, take it seriously. Yeah, I mean, in terms of physical-wise, I think the male, you know, the alpha. But uh, in terms of uh, endurance, in terms of uh, mental strength, I think the women really have it because they, every month, they have to go through these, these, these menstrual cramps. And on top of that, um, a lot of other you know, issues pertaining to the womb, pertaining to endometriosis, the fibrosis. And so many things are, you know, we are not even going to the Philippine tubes. So many things that, you know, it, it's such. But, you know, I really hats off to the, all the women who are watching this. Uh, definitely we complain you know, we have to shave every day. Sorry, dog? We complain <laughs> if we have to shave every day. Yeah, we have, I agree. And, and you gave so, up on that also. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. After a while, I give up shaving. Uh, Doc, another one is just for you as well. Um, PCS. Uh, now you call it PVS, right? Um, is it only happen in only women who have many children? But but another thing that I want to ask you, Doc, is you know if a woman who is not delivered yet, if, if not have any children yet, and she discovers that she has varicose veins in the lower part of a leg, maybe in the calf or lower part, is there higher chances that she will develop PBS. 
when she delivers? Um, as an association, yes. Uh, but although uh, the statistics are not quite clear on it. Okay. Because if you've got uh, varicose veins in your leg, even before you've had children, uh, there's a possibility that genetically you don't have very good valves in your veins. So you're more likely for uh, when the pressure rises in the veins in the pelvis, you're more likely to get it. Um, um, having said that, it is true. Uh, usually women who had two or three children are far, far more likely to have a pelvic venous disorder. And the, the answer is simple. The pelvic veins become huge. You know, they're no longer veins. They become pelvic pipes during a pregnancy. Um, the size increases, the blood flow increases dramatically, and sometimes they don't go back. In addition to that, um, uh, there are two hormones, progesterone in particular, which causes um, the veins to dilate um, and become sort of loose and floppy. Um, and that's the problem when they're given progesterone um, contraception uh, to try and control their period pain. Um, and the next thing you know, their period pain gets worse because their pelvic veins have become even bigger. Um, uh, the uh, other thing, there's another hormone called relaxin that towards the end of the pregnancy also can make these veins bigger. So yes, it is true that it is usually women who've had two or three children. Uh, but there's something else we are beginning to notice. Um, women who have had one child after IVF, um, they also seem to be uh, a slightly higher sort of proportion of them seem to be having a pelvic venous disorder. And there was some confusion. Is it all the preparation for the IVF that leads to the disorder? The answer is no. The fact is they have underlying pelvic venous disease, uh, which can lead to subfertility as well. And so obviously this is the group that goes uh, for, in, uh, for IVF treatment. Uh, and so the association comes uh, into play. So it's not that IVF causes pelvic venous disorders. Uh, it's just that uh, women who've had IVF uh, might uh, show their signs of a pelvic venous disorder with even one baby, while uh, women who don't and are normally fertile uh, may need two or three before these symptoms begin to show. Thank you, Doctor. Uh, we will jump into um, Dr. Kailin. Um, the difference between the endometriosis and adenomyosis, which is, I think, you know, people are now starting to understand the both and want to know more about it. Yeah, so I think Dr. Sriram uh, mentioned adenomyosis just now, um, you know, while he was addressing the question about how you differentiate between uh, pelvic venous disorders and endometriosis. And so the pathway for endometriosis and adenomyosis is actually pretty similar. It's just that in endometriosis, while we find the tissue from the womb lining to be outside of the womb, in adenomyosis, there is actually the collection of the tissue from the womb lining that infiltrates into the muscle layer of the womb itself. So the result of that would be actually the, the uterus or the womb becoming you know, bulkier or bigger than usual. And that usually manifests in uh, not only pain, but also very heavy periods as well. So um, that is a feature that we don't usually see in endometriosis, although the, the common theme of pelvic pain will still persist um, in both of them. So that's usually one of the key differentiating factors, um, although it is quite difficult for the layperson to tell because, you know, it would be a, quite a common presentation of menstrual cramps or, or pelvic pain, essentially. Thank you, Doctor. Um, Dr. Shreya, um, does everyone who has PCS, does they have to go through an operation? Uh, the answer to that is no. Uh, and this is the key. If there is one message I would like to get across today, 
uh, it is this. The answer is no. In fact, at the Venus Clinic, we have sort of set ourselves a target um, that less than three in 10 should actually have a procedure. Why is that? Uh, if you actually do CT scans, um, uh, and I will explain more when I do the slides. If you actually do CT scans, any woman who's had uh, a couple of children will have some dilated veins or enlarged veins on the pelvis. That is just normal. Uh, CT scans and MRI scans are sort of static pictures. Um, uh, the fact is, this is a, a problem of dynamic blood flow. And you have to measure that blood flow. Uh, and that is only possible by doing something called a duplex, which is ultrasound, ultrasound and Doppler. Now, ultrasound does solid organ. It does great. And I'll show you some pictures of the difference between the two. Um, Doppler measures blood flow. And you overlay the Doppler picture on the ultrasound picture to get a duplex. So that allows you to know the blood flow within the organ, the direction of blood flow. Are there varicose veins? How big are these varicose veins? And then, of course, once they have had pregnancies, you can leak the, the, uh, the pelvic floor, which in a non-pregnant person is fairly taut. Uh, that becomes a little loose. As the baby comes out, they destroy your insides on the way out. Um, and so the veins above the pelvic floor begin to leak through the pelvic floor and in towards the leg and around the vagina. Um, and so uh, many of these women can actually be managed if their symptoms are not that bad. The, the key thing is pelvic physiotherapy. And that's not, you know, just, you know, raise your arm and your leg a bit. Pelvic physiotherapy is a very specialist area. Uh, it is targeted and you need to measure uh, the pelvic floor, how is it functioning, where is the blood leaking, and target the physiotherapy accordingly. So, um, And with pelvic physiotherapy and some simple medication to increase the tone in the veins, you can probably prevent an operation in about 60 to 70% of women, and they will be back to a pretty good functioning life. Um, yes, some of them are really bad, and then we need to do interventions to cut down the volume of blood in the pelvis, uh, and to stop this pressure from being transmitted. But really, it, uh, it shouldn't be in more than uh, 3 out of 10. The problem, Vance, is that the procedures that are required for pelvic congestion syndrome, which is ovarian vein embolization or ileic vein stents, they're technically very easy to do. They're not very difficult. And uh, you might think that's a good thing, but I think that's a bad thing. Because when we do complex operations that can cause trouble, we are careful when we start. When you have an easy operation that's easy money, um, uh, you people get operated when they don't need the procedure. Uh, and this is my biggest fear with pelvic venous disorders, that uh, uh, without a full assessment of what is the actual functional blood flow problem within, people will start doing procedures in this because they're easy to do. They're not technically very demanding. Uh, and uh, they're also low-hanging fruit when it comes to the bank. Um, and, and that needs to be avoided. And uh, people should uh, realize that uh, they should have a period of no surgery, at least try uh, physiotherapy and, and medication. And yes, if it doesn't get better, then we can talk about surgery afterwards. You know, Doctor, today I came to realize that doctors uh, are something like problem solvers. You know, you've got all these jigsaw puzzles all around you and you mm. just have to look at a bigger picture of what's going to happen what may happen, and also look in the future. But that seems like, wow, it's a lot of presentations, there's a lot of investigation, there's a lot of procedures. 
how can you just absorb all that in the mind? I mean, this is a side of the talk session that I'm asking you. But how, how is that possible? Is it is it based on experience or is it based on knowledge? Or how is that it's, possible? Though? It's it's a combination, I think. Um, and uh, uh, when you know, talking very specifically about pelvic venous disorders and endometriosis, actually. Uh, so uh, two weeks ago, we introduced something called the Aquas Protocol. To, we presented it to you know peers around the world for their debate and discussion. Aquas A is agony, um, uh, which is what is the key symptom that is causing their pain. Q is quality of life. How badly does it affect it? How how, do, how much does it stop you functioning? As Dr. Kylin said, um, uh, U stands for urological features. You know, are they unable to hold the urine? Which all the you know do they have uh, overflow or stress incontinence, suggesting problems with the pelvic floor? Um, o stands for um, other disorders ruled out. So have they been looked at for fibroids and endometriosis and other conditions? Because if that's been ruled out, then it's more likely to be a pelvic venous disorder. And S stands for sexual dysfunction. Has that actually affected your life and you know created the um, relationship issues and stuff? So we use that aquas to decide: should we even consider? You know, how far do we go down? You know, we can make the diagnosis of a pelvic venous disorder straight away on a pelvic duplex. We know that there are veins there and that they're collecting. But should we actually walk them down multiple tests and should we walk them down procedures? So it's nice to take disparate information that we get and all the knowledge we get and then to try and distill it into a sort of simple protocol pathway. Um, because that guides us, that guides others, that guides the patients as well to know they're not being walked down the wrong path. Um, so uh, that, that sort of helps to streamline the mind. Thank you, Dr. Shriram. Um, Dr. Kailin, we're coming back to you again. Um, chocolate seas. I mean, that's what I know of. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm using the term correctly. But, uh, yes, you are. Am I right? Okay, good. Okay. Yes, you are. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, I, 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 I read about that. Um, it seems like uh, really a chocolate seas because of the color and kind of stuff. But that also leads to our next question, which is the, is it curable? Is endometriosis curable? So I always tell my patients to look at endometriosis almost like one would look at diabetes or high blood pressure. You know, it's, it's something that is a chronic condition and it ties in very well with the question that you just asked. And I think the common thread uh, between me and Dr. Shriram is that we know that we're in there for the long haul. And that's the reason why we need to actually look in the future and plan in the long term for patients you know, either with endometriosis or with pelvic venous disorders, because we know that is not something that is just like that, you know, it's not something that we can just fix overnight. It's not something like, you know, for example, you have a urine infection and you take a course of antibiotics and it's done over and done with. Uh, it's really not the case. Um, so, you know, the first thing that we need to know is that this is a very long-term thing. Uh, it's not something that is that that women can hope for a quick fix. It's something that requires working together, you know, either with your gynecologist or with your vascular surgeon, whichever it is, um, you know, over time. And usually that's also the same reason why we usually try a trial of conservative management first, you know, with medications, um, rather than jumping straight into surgeries, because it used to be the case um, that people would jump straight in surgeries and then we'll see you know, women who have unfortunately ended up with multiple surgeries in a lifetime and then turn up, you know, with still endometriosis present, you know. The worst, that, 
you know, correct. And so the 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 the, the, the the there's been a very distinct shift in mindset uh you know in recent years and we now understand that you know as with any chronic condition you know endometriosis pelvic venous disorders and so on there needs to be a very well executed you know stepwise approach in terms of management and it's only through this that you can actually achieve the best quality of life outcomes for the patients rather than just a hastily you know, executed, you know, short-term plan and hope that the problem will go away because it really, it really isn't, you know, something that like some other conditions that is quickly fixed. Thank you, doctor. I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Sriram the last question before we go into the presentation because it's very much of uh, information today. We talked both of uh, the PCS, now we change it to PVS. <laughs> it's a good thing to know, doc, and uh, also the endometriosis. Uh, but we're not even even going into fibrosis. I mean, of course, it's a bigger topic as well. But we're going to um, ask Dr. Sriram. Dr. Sriram, you know, varicose veins. I mean, I mean, there are guys also have it. But uh, is there any chances that a male can get PBS or PCS? Actually, yes. There is a male pelvic venous disorder as well. In fact, it's very common. Um, you know it as a varicocele. You have varicose veins uh, in the scrotum. Um, usually, it is it is the commonest pelvic venous disorder in men, um, and uh, it is usually picked up uh, either when they are going for a military examination, uh, or because it is a cause of infertility. It raises the temperature in the scrotum, so um, they tend to be more infertile. Um, and uh, the other problem that is uh, associated with pelvic venous disorders in men, uh, which wasn't uh, the topic we planned for today, um, is actually young erectile dysfunction because their veins flow out too quickly. So the blood that goes in does not stay in, it goes out. Um, and so uh, it begins with uh, an inability to sustain an erection and very quickly the mind takes over and they're unable to initiate an erection. Uh, but this is a disease uh, of men in their 20s and 30s. Um, this is not the old man's erection problem. This is a young man's problem. It is uh, rising, uh, has seen a sudden rise during COVID. Uh, it has nothing to do with COVID. It has more to do with Zoom, I think, and other such platforms. Sit down too much. No, it's not sit down too much. Uh, we have a cortisol rhythm. Cortisol is our stress hormone. And yeah. uh, it follows a day and light, night, light rhythm. So in the, uh, when the light goes down, your cortisol levels come down. Cortisol makes veins floppy. But nowadays, um, uh, when it is night in Singapore, we used to sleep in Singapore. Now it's night in Singapore, but Wall Street is open. Uh, and so they're doing Zoom meetings at 2 or 3 in the morning, staring at uh, screens, and uh, they completely upset their cortisol rhythm. And so their veins get floppy. In fact, in good intensive care units, we actually start turning the light down, even though the patient is unconscious. Uh, because uh, it affects their recovery, it affects their wound healing, it affects the, their uh, cardiac and respiratory function recovery, even though they can't see anything, but we turn the light down uh, to, to, to long light. Um, and so, yeah, the cortisol rhythm is important. So, yes, there is a male pelvic venous disorder as well. And uh, for women or for men who have varicose veins in their legs, um, what will be your advice, Doc? I mean, is it good to remove? Because it's, it's somehow rather it's not flowing. And that whole part, I think, have to be removed too. So what will yeah. your advice be? Yeah, uh, the association is obviously because the veins in the pelvis are, are uh, physically linked and connected to the veins in the legs. So the occurrence of a pelvic venous disorder with pain 
and varicose veins as well. Uh, that's fairly common. A lot of women can tell you who have varicose veins that um, just before their period, the veins get bigger and they swell and they hurt more. Uh, the decision making there is, do we treat the leg veins first or do we treat the pelvis first? Um, or do we treat both together? Um, and there again, the ACOS protocol comes in. What is the main cause of your agony? Um, mm-hmm. If your leg symptoms are your main symptoms and we can manage your pelvis without intervention, then we would do your leg first. Um, if your pelvic symptoms are your main things and uh, your leg symptoms aren't the main thing, we do your pelvis first. Of course, if both are symptomatic, we can do both together as well. So, you know, that's why it's important to have that decision-making protocol. Thank you, doctors. Uh, it was a great uh, information on the questions part. And I'm sure there are a few questions already lined up for, for viewers. I think we will keep it within all one hour. Thank you, viewers. If you're watching this, uh, please do share. Um, so that more people will be aware of today's topic and it's all pertaining to women's health. We talk about endometriosis and we also talk about PCS, um, pelvic congestion syndrome as well. So please do share. Um, so right now we will go into uh, Dr. Kylin's uh, PowerPoint. She has prepared for us. So let's go into that, Doc. Sure. Uh, let yeah. me just go into that. Yes. Okay. Great. You're able to see my screen. There you go. I got it. Great. Okay. So basically what I've just assembled is basically, you know, five succinct slides about basically everything that you need to know about endometriosis. And you know, some of this we've already sort of discussed earlier on in the Q&A. Uh, and we do know now that, you know, endometriosis is quite a common condition. One in 10 women are affected by endometriosis. But we also talked about the difficulty that a lot of women with endometriosis have to go through in order to arrive at the right diagnosis. And there have been studies to actually show that there's almost a seven-year average delay in diagnosis of endometriosis. And along the way, about three out of four women have to experience misdiagnosis after misdiagnosis before finally getting to the correct answer. So it's not something that is very pleasant for any woman to go through. Uh, And we also talked about what endometriosis was, and it's basically a condition whereby tissue from the womb lining is actually found outside the womb itself. And because this tissue is hormone dependent, and as you know, your womb lining responds to hormonal changes month after month, and that eventually results in your period. The same tissue that's found outside your womb also respond and so they are actually bleeding in tandem as well and so where this old blood is where it's not supposed to be it actually causes a lot of pain a lot of inflammation going on and as it you know drags on then it sort of results in a lot of scarring and a lot of long-term damage as well to the pelvic organs and that's not something that we're looking for um you know long term for a lot of women so in terms of symptoms, we do have we have covered quite a few earlier on, and of course one of them is painful periods. Uh, it's quite characteristic if you if the pain actually comes before periods and it lasts throughout. Uh, but most of the time, women with endometriosis do tend to find that the pain gets better when the period ends. Although, as the stage of endometriosis progresses, it can sometimes morph into chronic pelvic pain, whereby you can't even tell the difference. Uh, whether or not your pain, your, your period is coming or is going because this pain is just there all the time. The other thing that you know, can manifest in women with endometriosis is that quite characteristic is that the pain occurs during sex itself. And that usually occurs on deep penetration 
Uh, it differs a little bit in the pelvic venous disorder whereby there is post-coital pain, which means that the pain actually comes around after the sexual intercourse. But either way, when it comes to a painful memory, when it relates to sex, of course, in the long term, it can affect your relationship as well. In fact, there have been good studies to show that women with endometriosis who eventually suffered a breakdown in their marriage actually cited endometriosis as one of the top causes contributing to breakdown of the relationship. So this is something that should be taken very seriously as well. Other symptoms may include things like painful toileting. So when you you know pass urine or you pass motion, especially during your periods, you find it really, really very tender, painful. And of course, with the distortion of the pelvic anatomy as well, a lot of women with endometriosis may eventually end up with infertility and they find that you know they're trying to get pregnant, but they're not able to get pregnant and meanwhile, they're suffering from all these symptoms. So it's something that we do see quite commonly in our clinic as well. So in terms of the treatment, uh, we divide it mainly into medical and surgical treatment. And like what we discussed just now, medical treatment is usually what we try and uh, start people on first because our aim is really not to subject patients to surgeries after surgeries. So the treatment option that we usually go uh, really depends on how severe the symptoms are, what the stage of endometriosis is, and what fertility plans does the patient have. And the main aim that we are actually trying to look at is to try and suppress the symptoms of endometriosis and to slow down the disease progression. What is very, very important to note is that even if you go for surgery to clear your endometriosis, you still need to be on some form of medical treatment to be taken long-term after surgery because endometriosis, unfortunately, has a very high chance of recurring if you don't go on medications long-term, even if you had surgical clearance done. Because if you remember, when there is a backflow of the womb lining and the womb lining tissue ends up outside the womb, even after surgery, you're still having periods month after month. And so the problem has a very high chance of coming back if you don't do anything to suppress that. So the common medical treatment that we usually put patients with endometriosis will include some form of hormonal treatment. Uh, the most common these days is something called Visan, and that's a oral tablet containing progesterone, which helps to reduce the pain and inflammation associated with the endometriotic tissue. Another thing that we can explore with some patients is something called the Mirena IUCD. And that's a device that is implanted with hormones that can be inserted into a womb at the clinic that lasts for five years. And then, of course, there's other um, treatment as well, with, with, which revolves around birth control pills, uh, which was originally invented for birth control. But then again, later on, we realized that it was actually pretty helpful with women diagnosed with endometriosis. In terms of surgery, nowadays we usually recommend surgery only for cases of advanced endometriosis with very severe symptoms. Now, it's very important to note that the severity of your endometriosis may not correlate with the severity of your symptoms. So we do have patients with very, very mild endometriosis, but they are actually suffering month after month with very, very severe symptoms. And the vice versa is true as well. We do have women with super severe endometriosis and they hardly have any symptoms at all. So it's not really a direct correlation. But in general, for women with very advanced endometriosis, severe symptoms, or for women who are trying to get pregnant soon, but they have difficulty getting pregnant because of their endometriosis, then usually we start talking about surgery. 
These days, surgery is almost exclusively laparoscopy or keyhole, and that usually involves a 1cm, a very small cut that is hidden in your belly button, and another three to four very small cuts that is in your tummy. So as Vance mentioned just now, it's endometriotic or otherwise blood or chocolate cysts in your ovaries. And it's actually named chocolate cysts because it's actually a buildup of old blood uh, in and outside your womb as well. So any of us know what ovary looks like, it really looks a little bit like chocolate, like dark brownish uh, in nature. And so if blood cysts or chocolate cysts in your ovaries, then these will have to be removed as well in, in an operation called ovarian cystectomy. And if there are any other endometriotic deposits in your pelvis, we will also look into excising them. But for women with very severe, very advanced endometriosis that involve the bowel as well, sometimes rarely the colorectal surgeon may also be needed to perform some shaving of endometriosis from the bowel, or even in worst case scenario, resect the affected bowel as well. It is, of course, very technically challenging because of long-term inflammation and scarring that the condition has caused. So it's very, very important to look for a specialist who is experienced in managing endometriosis and in operating for endometriosis as well because the ultimate, ultimate aim and the only, if only, the only take-home message of today, if you don't remember anything else, is that the top goal in managing endometriosis is to avoid multiple surgeries. We don't want to keep scarring and keep scarring a woman with endometriosis. And what we want to do is to time the endometriosis surgery to the most appropriate time, preferably when she's trying to start to conceive. So that's all I have in terms of the five slides. All you need to know about endometriosis. Uh, no, doc. thank you so much. But now only I know, uh, rather probably I know it before, but you know, pain is the main symptom, right? Uh, could be so many presentations. Uh, what is your recommendation or what is your advice to women out there um, to do a yearly checkup or whether is it six months to make sure that they don't fall into these presentations? So the thing is that um, you have, I mean, ultimately a woman will know her body the best. And if you start to find that there are changes in your menses that you can't really account for, you know, and, and these are usually persistent. You can watch yourself for the next few months and see, you know, for example, if there's a new onset of uh, pain that you never had before or abnormal bleeding that you didn't experience early on and it kind of persists for at least two to three menstrual cycles, then it's probably time to get yourself checked out. And as Dr. Shreya mentioned as well, um, you know, we, we typically take a very detailed history um, and do scoring systems as well. And of course, you know, our most handy tool would be an ultrasound scan. You know, just a simple ultrasound scan sometimes is always needed to sort of diagnose whether or not there's any huge problem going on. And so I think the main message is don't be afraid. And if you feel that it's happening to you and if you feel that it's going on for a few months, don't ignore it. I think that's a key message that we want to you know, past the viewers today. Thank you, Dr. Kailin. There's a very useful information for our viewers. So now we will pass it to Dr. Sriram for your time, sir. Thank you. I will share. Yeah. Uh, we also received some of our viewers, uh, some questions from the viewers. We're definitely going to spend the last one question. I know we are running for time, but uh, we try to keep it within one hour because... Both our doctors have not taken their dinners. They are working very late. One at, at uh, residences, another doctor is in hospital. Right, Doc. So we are going to go for your presentation right now. Thank you. Thanks, uh, Vance. Uh, so I'm going to sort of uh, re, uh, 
visit the symptoms uh, that could be either pelvic congestion or endometriosis, uh, but we do need to take them seriously. Uh, one is understanding what these terms mean, which is chronic pelvic pain, and the pain really is discomfort throughout the cycle or pain throughout uh, the cycle. It can get worse on the day before or during the period itself. Um, far more typical in pelvic venous disorders or pelvic congestion is low back pain. Uh, there is a, a set of veins around um, the lower back, uh, around the sacrum, uh, that seem to get involved, especially in weak pelvic floors. Uh, painful periods, again, is an overlap between these two conditions, uh, like we've discussed. Um, dyspareunia is a word used for pain, uh, painful intercourse. The key distinction between the two, uh, endometriosis and pelvic venous disorders, is the pain during deep penetration, during intercourse, or is the pain after intercourse, uh, which is far more typical of venous disorders. Um, heavy or prolonged periods can occur in endometriosis only if adenomyosis is present, uh, but it is fairly common um, in uh, pelvic venous disorders because there are varicose veins across the uterus. And urinary frequency, where they are unable to hold their urine, they, when they have to go, they have to go now, um, uh, that is usually a pelvic floor problem. It's not that the pelvic venous disorder causes that. It's just that those who have pelvic venous disorders also have um, a slightly weak pelvic floors from their multiple pregnancies, and that leads to a problem with the urine. Remember, they may also have varicose veins around the vaginal area um, uh, and uh, in their legs uh, because these veins are all interconnected. Um, so this is what we have understood now, uh, finally, after so many years, is that essentially the problem is one of varicose veins in the pelvis, um, and uh, the compression of these veins occurs at two sites. Uh, the funny thing is we were never designed to stand. Our bodies were designed to live on all fours, but we decided to stand as a race or as a species, um, and that meant we created a compression in the left kidney vein as it comes out of the kidney and goes towards the main uh, vena cava, uh, and the left ovarian vein drains into the left kidney vein, so it comes under high pressure. The other problem is the vein leaving the leg, where, uh, which used to be called May-Turner syndrome. The name has changed now. Uh, but these are two points of compression that we have created by standing up. Um, and uh, these high-pressure vein systems communicate with, with each other in the pelvis, uh, and they're also connected into, to the legs. And your picture on the right shows you how these veins actually go through the pelvic floor and into the legs and all around the uterus and the bladder and the rectal area. So the vein blood leaks from the pelvis in towards um, the vaginal area and the legs through a, peak, a weak pelvic floor. So essentially, uh, pelvic venous disorder is the correct term because it is a disorder of varicose veins in the pelvis communicating with the legs. Uh, for all the patients who are suffering there and uh, don't realize which way to go, um, this is the one to look for. Just go onto the website and run your PCS score. Click it. It's a 14-point score. It will give you this, uh, the advice on what you need to do. And you can run it on your on your mobile, you can on your handphone, you can run it online. Um, and you will get two scores, uh, a basic PCS score, which is generic, and then a very specific PCS score, um, which is uh, for symptoms that are far more specific for a pelvic venous disorder. Um, you total these scores up, and it tells you if your score is 0, 1, or 2, the chances you have one of a pelvic venous disorder are very, very low. If it's between 3 and 6, you're welcome to either come to me or to Kylin. Uh, but if it's more than 7, seven or more, 
there's a very high chance that you have a pelvic venous disorder. And this score seems to be uh, over 90% specific um, and over 93% sensitive uh, to this condition. Uh, so um, it's a very simple way of knowing uh, on how and where you need to, whether you need to see a gynecologist or whether you need to see a vascular specialist for this. And finally, I'm going to emphasize the importance of pelvic ultrasound assessments in this. Um, so on your left, you can see a pelvic floor ultrasound. Um, the picture on top is, uh, is a diagram. So um, we ask the patient to contract their pelvic floor, and then we ask them to blow out um, and relax their pelvic floor. Um, and we can actually measure how well the pelvic floor contracts. Does it come together? Is there any twist in the urethra? Is there any twist in the bladder? Is there a prolapse, etc.? And on the right side, you can see these lovely red and blue pictures. This is Doppler blood flow. And you see little graphs underneath which show us the waveforms of the blood flow, which we measure. Um, sadly, um, uh, there aren't too many centers doing this. Uh, we uh, are the only ones in Asia PAC who are doing this. In fact, the pelvic blood flow ultrasound or the pelvic duplex uh, is a protocol that we developed about four years ago um, uh, and have uh, distributed to the world. So it is important to get these two done so we know um, which way um, you need to go, whether a gynecologist uh, or you need a vascular intervention. Um, so uh, that to me is a summary um, that uh, chronic pelvic pain is a diagnostic confusion. Uh, you can sort of discern between the two. Uh, I know we've spoken a lot about pelvic venous disorders, but actually endometriosis is probably a little commoner than a pelvic venous disorder. Uh, but don't hesitate to hold back and certainly don't allow your symptoms to be dismissed. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Sriram. Uh, I think we, do, we lost uh, Dr. Kailin. I think she'll be probably coming up. Uh, but wonderful PowerPoint slides. I'm sure viewers are now watching. We have a couple of uh, viewers right now. Thank you so much. If you're watching this, please share so that um, more women can be benefit on the... There she comes again. Um, more will be aware of this uh, particular syndrome that we are talking about. Hi, Doc. I thought uh, you just came back again. Yeah, my, we lost you for a while. Okay. Uh, Beautiful presentations by the both doctors. So I'm just going to get one question for each of you all because it's past one hour. Um, I know Dr. Sriram can do this all night because that's what I'm sure he can do that. Yeah, we can do this all night if we, if we need to. It's a marathon, no, but, right? But the best thing about this has been that there has been no turf. You know, in, among specialists, there tends to be, this is my patient, this is your patient. They get protected. And the wonderful joy of being uh, on, on with Kailin is, is the understanding that, you know, patients need to be seen by both. We can't sort of um, try and take ownership of them. The condition does overlap and we both need each other. Uh, and we have to listen to the patient. They know their body better than anybody else. Yes, definitely, Doc. Uh, I'm going to pull up. Uh, uh, I, I know there are, there are about five came in, so probably... Uh, I might want to ask this to Dr. Kailin first. Uh, we have a viewer here, Doc, sorry, um, who asked us uh, rather a long sentence, but I think um, what she's want to ask, I think the few of the words are also been lost. Um, so I think she wants to know what's happened between 2011 to 2013. Um, concern of the abnormal pap smear. What is your advice, Doc? Right, so I'm seeing the question. The first question is what is no endocervical cells with inflammation? And I think unfortunately the second question has gotten cut off. So I'll just yeah. address the first question uh, first. 
So it used to be that when you did a pap smear, um, you know, people would say that you need to have the presence of endocervical cells uh, in order for that pap smear to be counted, uh, to be deemed satisfactory. Um, but in recent years, that's no longer the case. We don't usually rely on the presence of endocervical cells anymore. Uh, and so the most important line that I would advise for you to look out for in your pap smear report should be negative for malignancy. And that's really basically what the pap smear is for. The pap smear is really to look for any precancerous changes uh, arising from the neck of the womb, which is the cervix. Uh, sometimes the pap smear can pick up some inflammation as well. And it could be that the pap smear happened to be taken at a point of time that you happen to have a little bit more vagina discharge uh, than usual. So if you're having any symptoms of that, then you may consider visiting your gynecologist to get that checked out as well. But if your last pap smear was in 2018, we're talking about three years already, then my recommendation would be, you know, you probably would need to get your, your, your pap smear repeated sometime soon. In fact, if you are over 30 years of age, um, the, the General Ministry of Health guidelines right now is no longer the pap smear as the first line test, but rather something called a HPV primary screening. And HPV is really short form for human papillomavirus testing, which is done exactly the same way as a pap smear, but it has actually a higher accuracy rate for screening of cervical cancer. And it absolutely doesn't require you to have endocervical cells for screening. So that's, that's the answer. But I'm so sorry, I can't really see the second part of the question on, on the screen. Thank you, doctor. Thank you for that. Um, now, the last one for Dr. Sriram. Um, Dr. Sriram, I think this belongs to you. <laughs> is it difficult to diagnose PCS? Answer is no. If you know what you're doing, it's not. If you don't, it is. That's like anything else in life. Uh, well, the key thing, like I mentioned, is that it is a functional problem. A lot of women who've had children will have some veins that will be seen on scans. Uh, they should not be treated and operated based on those CT scans. And the functional assessment of blood flow with the pelvic duplex ultrasound scan, uh, that is the key. Um, because uh, we can then also look at the pelvic floor uh, and then find that set of patients, because you can't see the pelvic floor uh, in terms of how it is functioning with the CT or an MR, uh, unless you do a very specific dynamic MRI, which is not available in Singapore. Um, so it is important to, to uh, it allows us to make sure that there is uh, all those women who don't need surgery, don't get surgery, um, and they can be managed without any intervention. Uh, so it is not difficult to diagnose a combination of the PCS score and Aquas protocol and uh, a duplex scan. That's what we use, and it's fairly easy. Um, uh, and I just see a little one from Zaza. I'm surprised Zaza has joined us. He's a, a colleague of mine from Georgia. He's one of the leading vein authorities uh, in the world. Uh, Zaja, thank you for joining us. Uh, he's a professor in Georgia. Okay. Thank you, Zaza, from all there from uh, Georgia. Thank you so much. I'm just going to pull up a last question for Dr. Ng because uh, specifically the person has asked, what will be the gold standard for an accurate endometriosis diagnosis? So it used to be that many years ago, the gold standard for to diagnose endometriosis accurately will be something called a diagnostic laparoscopy. So we will actually put the patient under anesthesia and you know make the make the patient go under undergo surgery uh, in order for us to visualize and do a biopsy and then confirm the presence of endometriosis. But that's no longer the case because as we mentioned earlier, the goal is really not to subject a woman to too many you know unnecessary surgeries. 
So what we really do these days for an accurate diagnosis of endometriosis is really a very targeted ultrasound scan. As long as the person doing the ultrasound scan knows what he or she is looking for, that is the most important part in diagnosis because you could do a scan, but if you don't know what you're looking for, even if it's there, you're not going to pick it up. I think that's, that's one of the key messages that I think me and Dr. Sriram probably, you know, one of the key take-home messages. Um, and so it's very important to find someone who is in the know and someone who knows what they're looking out for because at the end of the day, it's not really about expensive, you know, um, CD scans or MRIs, although sometimes we may need them in certain cases for, you know, surgical planning. But ultimately, it really lies down to a simple ultrasound scan, which is, can be quite done, easily done in a clinic setting as well. You know, very often it's done in the same clinic as where we are um, consulting our patients. And so as long as we, you know, do a detailed scan, most of the time we will be able to take up, you know, endometriosis or even probably disorders very accurately. You know, doctors, thank you so much for this one hour and 10 minutes. But we see the human the human system or the human body has so many functions, but we are not aware of all these symptoms or presentations that we are looking for. You know, every time when some some specialists who come on board with um, copy advance, we always talk about different things and then we go into deep segment. But, you know, I think everyone should understand about the body. If there's a pain, there's a symptom, you better go and check it out because the body is giving you some kind of a signal, all right? And today's topic about women's health, about endometriosis, we covered, we covered about PCS, we even went into PVS right now. Um, such a value information that both doctors share us today at Kopi with us. Thank you so much, doctors. I know you have spent a good one hour because you should be resting or you should be having your dinner, especially Dr. Sriram is still in his hospital. Are you still in the clinic, dog, right? Yeah, I am, I am. Yeah, I, I have to remember to put the AC off before I leave. Yeah, and uh, Dr. Ng as well, you, you rush down from your clinic to just to be a part of, uh, to be a part of in the Kopi event. So thank you so much. Um, can I just trouble the last part where Dr. Srinam, what is your advice to people who are listening to this at the moment, especially women? I'm sure if man is listening that, great job, guys. But I'm sure women will be also listening so please share and like. But doctor, what is your advice, doc? My simple advice. If you've got chronic pelvic pain, run the PCS score from our website. If it is less than what it should be, please go to Kylin. Uh, if it is more than seven, you can come to us. And it's funny. Uh, you know, we're not trying to... You know, there are things we do in our careers uh, which are good for our ego, good for our uh, you know academic careers. Some are good uh, financially. Um, but then you do something that is a passion that actually makes you feel that you're going to make a difference to people. Uh, I think pelvic venous uh, disorder work is like that, like endometriosis work. Um, so uh, my advice is, if in doubt with pelvic pain, just run the PCS score. It's a very easy way to move which way to go. And uh, Dr. Hung, please. I mean, at the end of the day, what can I say, man? It's tough being a woman. <laughs> It's even, so, it's even tougher being a man dealing with a woman's condition. Hey. <laughs> because we just don't understand it. And that was that was the biggest learning I got. Because when we do the ultrasounds, we ask them, you know, the best time to do the ultrasound is a week before their period in that week. The congestion is maximum. So we ask, you know, I would ask, you know, when's your next period due or when was your last period? And they'd all reach into a phone. They all had an app that was tracking their period. And I had no idea 
that such apps exist. So it tells you how far we are as men from understanding what they're going through. You know, they live in a different world. So yeah, it's a bit harder for us to try and understand you. Well, you know, for my patients, they typically look at their boyfriend or husbands because they, they really know when it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> so we right. don't really need an app. They just need to know when it's coming. <laughs> Great discussion, docs. I mean, uh, very fruitful. I think a lot of women will appreciate this. We can already see more messages are coming in. Um, and of course, the viewers right now, if you're watching this and if you have any questions that you are a little shy, I know some of the questions that came to me as well. Um, not to worry, their email address is there. You can always approach them or make an appointment to see if you have a condition. And I think that is very important. Um, we lost Dr. <laughs> Dr. Lin again. So, um, oh, we have more messages coming in. Thank you so much. Um, we also have uh, Primila. Thank you very much. Um, well, I think you just join us and send um, messages. Thank you so much. Um, Dr. Sriram, so definitely we are going to meet up for coffee, uh, real coffee. Yes, we because- are. Yeah, copy with Vance. Uh, yeah. Come back. I'm So I was just telling uh, Dr. Sriram, Dr. Lin, that you know, Kailin, that we have to meet up for coffee. And I know, eventually. Coffee. Definitely, we got to do that. All right. Thank you, doctor. Thank you so much Thank for you. your time. Thank you Thanks, Thanks for having you. us. We will catch up soon. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Dr. Sriram, we got to catch up. Yeah. You know yes, what we, we need will. to do, all right? Uh, we talked about Indian food. Okay, now we take this at the backstage. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. It was a very, very interesting topic today. I'm not sure if you have learned something or if you have taken back. I think I enjoy every session at Copiedwins because I'm learning something. And that is what we should be. We should be learning something every day. doesn't matter. Is it a 10% or 20%? At least something you're learning. And... Um, a great appreciation to Dr. Sriram and Dr. Ung Kailin who, who spend their precious time, you know, they should be resting. Uh, I know what was at, what was like at the backstage, you know, when they really rush around and even Dr. Sriram staying back late at night and Dr. Lin coming rushing down just to be part of Kopi event. So it's my greatest appreciation to the both doctors and also to the weavers, right? Thank you so much for engaging the doctors for the questions. I know there are a few questions that I can't take um, because of time is really uh, rushing a little bit. I know more messages are coming in. Thank you so much, viewers. But if you're watching this, the best thing that you can do for me right now or for us is to share it so that a lot of women out there might not be known, all right? They might not know what kind of a symptom that they might be suffering or even though it just can be a menstrual pain, but it can lead to so many other things as well. We, we learn about PCS, we talk about endometriosis, uh, fibrosis, and so many other stuff that we can you know talk about. But given the time, um, today, Kopi events, we just covered this topic. All right. So I'll be catching again. Um, this month is going to be a little bit interesting because we are going to cover on women's health. Um, the whole idea was to kick start back again January. But we just have doctors lined up, uh, experts coming up on the next uh, few weeks to come and talk about topics on women's health, especially to create the awareness and exposure as well. So thank you so much, viewers. Please do share and like. And for now, it's time for me to say adios, amigo. I will catch you soon. In the meantime, bye. Bye.